It's morphin' time! Okay, uh, Mina-san, Yokoso, welcome to the very first episode of our new show, Kinkyu Sentai Podcast Rangers, or Research Squadron Podcast Rangers. Hopefully the name gives you a good idea of what it, we're about, but before we get into that, we'd like to introduce ourselves. My name is Ethan, I use he, him pronouns, and I am pretty much a lifelong Power Rangers fan. I've got the Insert Your Child's Name Here books to prove it. Obviously, I came to Sentai much later, but it has become an enduring special interest for me. With me is my regular co-host, Andrew. Hi, Ethan. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I guess I can. I would like it if you did. Okay. Uh, I'm Andrew. I, I use he, him pronouns. Um, I watched Power Rangers when I was seven. Haven't thought about it much since then until about two weeks ago. This is a strong difference between us. This is a strong difference between us, yeah. I was not a huge fan. I had some Power Rangers toys. I watched it when I could, but like X-Men was my thing when I was a kid. So like... I remember Power Rangers, you know, it's in my head, but like, it's not, it, it, it was not like a formative thing for me. Okay. Andrew and I will be the regular hosts for the show, although we hope to have a diverse rotating guest seat. Nelson, our recording engineer, is actually already here in the studio and will be joining us immediately after this recording for episode two. Andrew and I have also been friends since we were 11 years old, so please don't ask us to explain any of our 20-year-old in-jokes. We no longer recall where they came from. Speak for yourself. So what is this? What are we doing here? What does Kenkyu Sentai mean? I'll answer those in reverse order. Kenkyu is the Japanese word for research or analysis in a scientific, literary, or academic sense. Sentai is a really important word for this project. It means squadron or fighting force. The purpose of this project is a deep dive analysis of the Super Sentai franchise, the Power Rangers franchise, and the cross-cultural interplay between the two, from Japan to the US and back again. One of my big inspirations here is Mobile Suit Breakdown, a Gundam podcast devoted to watching and analyzing every single episode of the Gundam franchise. Shout out to Tom and Nita. So those are the broad strokes. We're going to move into the recap portions now, beginning with episode one of Kyoryu Sentai Zyuranger. If you have no idea what that is, don't worry, we'll get to that. One quick programming note is that in this show we will be saying Japanese names with the family names first, as they'd be spoken in Japan. We're also going to be shouting out as many of the cast and crew of both shows as we can because we respect workers in this house. Hell yeah. Uh, we also have to do a quick disclaimer. Haim Saban is a hardcore Zionist, and we are staunch anti-colonialists. To the best of our knowledge, Saban's political leanings don't really filter into Power Rangers, but if we notice it, rest assured we will call it out in no uncertain terms. And when Saban eventually makes his way into the research segment, we will be discussing it in depth. This show, as with all media we produce, stands in opposition to all forms of uh, oppression. Free Palestine. Moving into the recap segment. Before we do the full recap. Okay. Uh, this was my first time watching. Oh, yeah. No, it's your first this, ever episode yeah, of Sentai. This was my first time watching Super Sentai. Okay. Um, what was your first episode of Super Sentai? Probably this same one, but okay. it would have been five or six years ago at this point. Okay. I think I was just browsing the Power Rangers wiki because sure. that's a normal thing that normal people do uh, yeah. and just started filtering over into the Super Sentai sections of it and reading up a little bit on the sort of fascinating process of creating Power Rangers. And I said, well, I think actually what I did was started rewatching Power Rangers, found it extremely cringe, which it is. And I said, let <laughs> me see, with that. let me see if the original show that it's based on is 
any less cringe. And then from there, I've watched through. Actually, just finished Car Ranger. Um, so I'm, I don't know, six or seven or eight Sentai shows deep at this point. Okay, but but you started with Zelly Ranger. Yeah. Yep. And and have you watched anything that came before that? No. Okay, so uh, this is something that I didn't know, but Zai Ranger is not the first Sentai show. That's correct. Uh, it's, 16th. It's, it's the 16th. It's where Power Ranger starts. You know, Power Rangers, uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Zai Ranger use uh, the same footage, but um, there is a lot that comes before this. And mm -hmm. so I know that's not what we're doing on this show, but at some point I would really love to dig into the, the history of the Tunkasatsu. Absolutely. Uh, format. Anyway, let's recap movie, Super Sentai Zai Ranger episode one. Special episodes and all sorts of stuff going backwards in time. Yeah. Okay, so Kyoryu Sentai Zhu Ranger translates to something like Dinosaur Squadron Beast Rangers. And it's the show that provided the mask footage for the first season of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Super Sentai as a franchise got its start in 1975 with Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger or Secret Squadron Go Ranger, which we hope to cover on this show at some point, as we mentioned. Zero Ranger started airing in 1992, a year before Power Rangers would make its debut in the U.S. and is the 16th installment in the Super Sentai franchise. It's notable for a number of firsts in the franchise, which we will cover as we get to them. Kyoryu Sentai Ranger. For now, let's recap episode one of Kyoryu Sentai Zero Ranger, titled Tanjo, which is, means the birth, which was written by Sugimura Noboru and directed by Tojo Shohei. It is a peaceful day in Tokyo. Children are going to school, workers are at their labor. At the Sakura Condominium's apartment building, a custodian with a great secret is sweeping the front walk. This is the mysterious sage Barza, who notes with distress that a space program has sent a crude mission, including requisite school children, to the mysterious dwarf planet Nemesis, which has a highly eccentric orbit and only approaches Earth every 170 million years. On their spacewalk, the astronauts notice a strange object, and when they touch it, it opens, releasing several monsters and their mistress, the witch Pandora. All right, let's pause here for just a second. Yeah. Uh, the, the old man with the broom? Uh-huh. With his ear? Yeah. <laughs> I, I stopped me in my tracks. Uh -huh. He's sweeping, and then all of a sudden, he's just got one weird, giant huge, ear. Huge, sort of grotesque. Disgusting, yeah. Elf ear. It's important to note also that when he changes into his sage clothes his ears are not weird and pointy he has <laughs> regular human style ears and, but it's such a wild practical effect because it it's a it's a wide shot of him on a rooftop and then it sort of cuts into his face and this ear sort of passing uh from behind his head and stretching out so it's like a pretty good practical gag uh, but it's like a, it is a pretty grotesque. And it's looking, huge. And it's it makes an, yes. absolutely no it's sense. As, it's as big as his face. Contextually, th there's no reason for it. It <laughs> doesn't come back at any point nope. in the rest of the episode. He has normal style ears for the rest of the show. Just just all of a sudden, Barza's got a giant ear. Um, I, I just needed, <laughs> I, I needed to discuss that. Yes. <laughs> all right. It's a very important thing to call out. So they freed Bandora. Then what? Yeah. Uh, Bandora wastes no time in causing a ruckus, flinging the astronauts into deep space with a breath attack and kidnapping the two children. Back on Earth, Bandora engages in some urban rearranging and generally makes a nuisance of herself before Barza reveals himself, again with extremely normal ears. <laughs> they have a brief magic duel and then both retreat. Bandora has to gloat about the two children she's going to smash like bugs, but Barza has a plan. 
Below the basement of the Sakura condos is a mystical realm which Barza has maintained for 170 million years in preparation for Bandora's return. With his ring of keys, he is able to revive Goshi of the Sharma tribe, Dan of the Etofu tribe, Mei of the Letha tribe, and Boy of the Dime tribe from their magical slumber, although he cannot open the last door. The four revived heroes battle Bandora's forces but are captured until the fifth hero, Geki of the Yamato tribe, appears, having been awoken from his magical sleep. He frees his comrades who rescue the children in the shrunken down spaceship. However, Bandora has already summoned one of her fearsome monsters, Dora Titan, who a giant who steals the space shuttle back again and vanishes along with Bandora's castle. Okay, so this 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 brings us to the first point of... of Ranger that has confused the hell out of me. Okay. So these episodes, at least so far, have been two-part uh, stories. Yeah. Where, where there's a, a big cliffhanger at the end of the first one, and then they resolve it in the second one. Mm-hmm. And I, I read ahead. I've watched the next episodes that we're going to be talking about already, and they do it again there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the cliffhanger mm-hmm. is resolved with absolutely no stakes. Do they do that every time? It changes depending on, I mean... Zero Ranger has much more of an overarching plot than Power sure. Rangers does, at least until Tommy shows up. Sure. But, the, I mean, it's still a kid's show. Yeah, so they right. have to make it so that six-year-olds who watched it while doing other stuff on Sunday morning will come back to it so the next week. D- Dora Titan shows up. Yep. Dora Titan wrecks everything. Yep. And then at the beginning of the next episode, and spoilers, but we'll get there, Dora Titan is just gone. Yep. With with absolutely no context, just gone. And, and we don't see Dora Titan in the next episode at all, do we? Uh, Towards pretty, the very uh, end? I think, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the fight at the end of the episode. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, we'll get there. But like, it, it was just so different from what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I expected uh, we would build to the, the big climactic battle. There would be a climactic battle. There would be some Megazords. No, no Megazords, no right. regular Zords. Crucially, no... No Zords whatsoever. No mechs of any flavor in this first episode, and only one shows up in episode two, as opposed to Power Rangers, which we'll get to, which has a full Megazord yeah. transformation yeah. in the first episode. Yeah, Bl- blew my mind. Anyway, um, I, I just I, I wanted to, to address that. So um, I'm going to do a quick recap of... Um, the first episode of Power Rangers. Let's hear it. And unlike Ethan's recap of Zayu Ranger, um, I'm doing this from the memory of having watched the thing it. two days ago. He's doming it, folks. Yeah. Um, but but unlike future episodes where there's at least going to be a little bit of overlap, um, th- this one is just entirely unrelated to Zayu Ranger. So uh, I'll hop in. Episode one of Power Rangers sets the basic scene for what Power Rangers is going to be. Um, you've got kids. They are doing karate. Um, you introduce Bulk and Skull relatively early on, and they're picking on Billy. This becomes a theme. Everybody's have, real mean to Billy. So much to say about Bulk and Skull and about Billy and David Yost, the actor specifically. Yeah. We'll get to that. But Bulk and Skull, I just want to put out like a broad spectrum content warning for secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. If you are neurodivergent and you have the unfortunate predilection towards secondhand embarrassment, take care of yourself while watching the show because it is not kind to Balkan Skull, who are not good people anyway, but are supposedly also, I guess, high school seniors, just like the, the Rangers are. And uh, it's it's uh, deeply yeah. insulting to them 
in many ways. Yeah, re- real rough on them. They, they show up, they try to learn karate. Um, they, they get made fun of very, very quickly and very hard. M- meanwhile, Bandora, who in this case is Rita Repulsa, yes, Rita has Repulsa. escaped. Yeah. Uh, she has been freed by some astronauts. We get no context no on this context. astronaut mission. <laughs> There's just they, they just let her out and she's free. I think um, it's a space dumpster. <laughs> space That's dumpster. The, it's a, the episode is called Day of the Dumpster, uh-huh. and it. I think that's a a pretty hilarious change to make it from to change the sort of prison bucket. It's like a big weird space bucket. Yeah. To change it from this like magic item that Barza created to just like, oh no, it's just a space. It's, it's just a dumpster. She's just yep. been living in a dumpster for, <laughs> I think she says 10,000 years, which is significantly less time yep. than 170 million since the dinosaur times. And then we get to the kind of biggest change that Power Rangers makes. And that instead of, of um, Barza, uh, we get Zordon and Alpha. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little more about Zordon um, later because there's there's a lot to say about Zordon but we're taken to uh what will become the the Power Rangers headquarters Zordon's lair the command center yeah and we get interestingly it's a a Jewish Torah study building on a college campus in California which I think we will have to do a research segment about at some point in the future because it's fascinating um so we get the robot Alpha uh who immediately like struck such a huge chord with me uh, I loved this robot as a child. Alpha's great. More than anything else about Power Rangers, I loved Alpha. And I think he must have focus tested extremely well because he's still there in like 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Alpha entered my vocabulary. As a child, when I was upset about something, this, I would definitely say, I, yeah, yeah. This makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, and my parents hated it. This was part of the reason that they did not like Power Rangers. It was, it was a whole thing. Regardless, um... Zordon, at this point, says one of the most just buck wild things that I can imagine. He requests surly individuals. Yes, he does. (laughs) And Alpha goes, oh, no, teenagers. And then they just teleport the teenagers. They kidnap five children (laughs) to a remote, undisclosed location via magitechnological means. And Zordon explains to the rangers, hey, we're, we're, you're going to be heroes and you're going to save the day and this witch is evil and yada, yada, yada. And he gives them all their morphers. And the rangers are like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, and, they, they kind of dip out. And they leave. And rather than sending them home, which would be the good and ethical <laughs> thing to do, Zordon's like, good luck in the desert. Zordon's motives are... Highly, highly questionable. And so um, the rangers walk out into the desert where they are immediately attacked by putty men. Um, The putty men are great. I really, really loved in both shows uh, seeing the effect of them sculpting the putty men and putting them into the oven. And like, I had forgotten entirely about that aspect of, of these monsters, but it was wonderful. And they fight the putty men and I'm sure that footage comes, uh, well, no, they, they weren't in costume. They hadn't Correct. they hadn't morphed yet. So this that is, was this is US side footage. Yes, that was that was US footage. I want to go back in time and look in the shipping container that went from the Tokyo <laughs> studio sure. back out to the California studio. I've seen there's there's all sorts of behind the scenes videos out there on the internet and sometimes you'll just like get a peek into a warehouse and instantly recognize, you know, five different things. Yeah. Or like a car that's that's been modified and 
and it's just sitting in a warehouse. It's never been used. No one's yeah. like auctioned it for charity. And I would be fascinated to see what the like shipping manifest yeah. would look like. So the, the Rangers fight the putty men. Is that what they're called? Yes, they are putties in Power Rangers, and uh, it's not, I don't think it's ever actually mentioned in Zoo Ranger, but they're called golems. Okay. I made sure to look that up because I didn't know. Cool. So the, the Power Rangers fight the putties. They, they win. Um, at that point, they, they do eventually have to engage their, their ranger powers, and they mm -hmm. do their transformation sequence, and suddenly are transported to an entirely different location for Correct. the rest of the fight. This will become a theme. This is a theme. And if you pay attention to signs, writing. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes the quality of the footage isn't necessarily worse, but noticeably different, different. because yeah. it's being filmed on completely different equipment. And then just like the general makeup of crowds, if there are any crowds, uh, they do an excellent job of masking the fact that all of the crowds in the Japan footage is it's all Japanese people. They also did a really interesting thing that I didn't notice as a kid with the mouths of these uh, various characters. And I think it's worth pointing out, if you're watching the first episode of Power Rangers and you're looking at Zordon's mouth specifically, mm -hmm. you, you can't see it. It's super blurry. It is it is blurred beyond any visibility. And, and we'll talk about that in an upcoming research segment because I think that the reasons why are worth discussing. Yeah, I'm but, really um, curious about what video techniques were used to, to put him in that too. Mm -hmm. um, For 1993, that's Yeah, it was, it was a fairly advanced effect. Yeah. And and even with um, Rita and and the, the various other critters mm -hmm. that are running around with Rita Repulsa, there are no close-ups of her face. Um, they're using wide shots and they reuse wide shots and they double up on the wide mm -hmm. shots so that they don't have to, to do anything fancy to, to dub her dialogue. Correct. It's very rare that you actually see her mouth move and when you do, it's normally just a ha 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 yeah, laughing or, or like baring her teeth and sort yeah. of growling, all those kinds of shots. Um, Pretty interesting. Um, I, it was it was very creative. Very similar problem, I would imagine, to you know dubbing animes like Dragon Ball Z or Pokemon, which would be coming up yeah. very shortly in the U.S. Yeah. sort of slate. And I've seen videos from Team Four Star talking about how they managed what they call lip flaps, which is a really gross phrase that I don't like. That's like its own whole entire discipline with animation, dubbing and other things like that is getting those to be just right. Cause when it's right, your brain doesn't even notice, but when it's wrong, it stands out very much. Yeah. And, and I think one thing that was really interesting here is that I, I watch a lot of, of foreign films and Japanese films specifically. And uh, especially recently, I've been watching a lot of Turkish films, which again, we'll, we'll talk about at some point. Mm -hmm. And when you see those things dubbed, they don't make, they, they can't make an effort to hide the actor's face. Uh, Italian films will occasionally because they were filmed in multiple languages at one time and just dubbed for every release. So every version of an, an Italian film is almost always going to be dubbed. It was, it was just such an interesting technique that they had the freedom to mm -hmm. take this thing that they are dubbing and go, well, we're just going to use a different shot so the dub is less obvious, yeah. you know? The camera work really on both sides mm -hmm. is incredibly clever. And if you sort of know what to look for, you can see all the little tiny ways that yeah. they, they manipulate camera angles and other things. And it makes a cohesive whole mm -hmm. in a way that I think is really interesting. So anyway, to finish up this recap, Goldar, is that his name? Mm -hmm. um, Griforzer in Z-Ranger. Yeah. Um, Goldar shows up. I'm, I'm not great with names. Y'all are going to have to forgive me. 
Ethan has got my back here. Um, <laughs> we, we're very different flavors of brain weird, but trust, rest assured, we are both very weird brained. Yeah, I won't argue with that. So Goldar shows up. Um, Rita makes Goldar real big. Mm -hmm. Megazord shows up. Megazord mm -hmm. fights Rita. Episode over. The Megazord is given very little context. Um, None, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. It's mentioned by Zordon. I, right. He kind of spoils the whole game with the uh, with the viewing orb in the command yeah. center. And, uh, you know, compared to the pace of Zero Ranger Episode 1, it's, it's wildly different. So... When talking about this episode, the thing the thing that stood out to me about the Power Ranger side of this mm -hmm. is that I had never seen this before. That okay. doesn't surprise me. No, no. Uh, but but as as someone who watched Power Rangers uh, contemporary with when it was airing, mm -hmm. I would have had no way to go and see this. Correct. You know? um, Video on demand did not exist. Right. That and may be shocking to some listeners, <laughs> but you could not always just get on YouTube and right. find anything. There was a point in time that YouTube hadn't been invented yet. And I, I spent a lot of time at at the local video store as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our home had a VCR. Mm -hmm. we, I, I watched a lot of tapes. Um, and eventually Power Rangers the movie made it out on VHS, but yes. I don't remember ever seeing an episode of Power Rangers um, at, at the local Hollywood video or blockbuster. Um, so like, it's possible that they existed and that I just didn't have access to them, but but mm -hmm. for myself, I never got the, the recap uh, I never got to go back. If I missed an episode, I missed an episode. You that, know? I was in a very similar situation. So up until 1997, my family lived in a subdivision mm -hmm. with cable TV. So I could catch Power Rangers at home sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I might catch it at the babysitter's house. And I might catch it in, um, after school during the ASP when we're mm -hmm. all, all the kids whose parents worked later than 3 p.m., which yeah. is all of us, all of them. Um, were chilling out in the lunchroom watching right. TV. Uh, but after 1997, I didn't have satellite, cable, or internet mm -hmm. at my house until 2005. Yeah. So there is a huge chunk of, of kids programming that I flat out missed. And see, we, we were mirrored in that way because we had mm -hmm. cable until about the time you and I met, until about mm -hmm. 2000. Um, but... So I, I grew up watching these things, but it, Power Rangers also aired at like 9 a.m. on Saturdays. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so we could like, actually probably look up yeah. the schedule and tell you exactly why we missed it. But it, it was it was early in the morning on Saturday. So it was it was one of those things that it was very hit or miss if I ever saw it. And as a result, I never saw this specific episode, mm -hmm. um, which is a shame because this episode, while making absolutely no sense, I mean, it just <laughs> it, it is it is nonsense. Um it, it provides a ton of context for the show, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the deep lore that I was always missing and that we just kind of made up when I was a kid. You know, when we were mm -hmm. talking about Power Rangers or playing Power Rangers or playing with our Power Rangers toys or whatever, it was it, we, we were missing all of the, well, who is Zordon? You know, and yep. this was the only explanation we ever got. This episode, the next say that he's been trapped in some kind of time. He's, a, he's in a time warp. Yeah. Uh, OK, great. Well. I, I know that now. I did not know that when I was seven, yep. you know? <laughs> yeah. So that, that I just wanted to to call that out as mm -hmm. like uh, the, the thing that stood out to me about Power Rangers, you yeah. know, um, this show that, that ostensibly I am familiar with and that was a huge part of my childhood in spite of the fact that it wasn't my favorite show. I mean, I I had a ton of Power Rangers toys, oh, yeah. you, you know, you 
You have seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a handful of Power Rangers toys, and it clearly went on to inform a lot of other aspects of my life. You know, um, I I got really into um, Beetleborgs when yep. that came out, and that's another uh, Haim Saban um, Tonkasatsu show that was was yes. reinterpreted for the U.S. It's so, a different show than than the uh, Go Ranger. Mm-hmm. Um, so with uh, with the success of this import footage method of this sort of hybrid footage um saban's company would go on to import beetleborgs common rider uh vr troopers mm-hmm. uh and then power rangers is still going today yeah. uh as uh as is super sentai in japan uh so this this method of hybridizing footage uh proved to be extremely successful and i imagine quite lucrative as well and and cheap and we'll, we'll oh, yeah. talk a lot yeah. more about cheap, but but it was cheap. So I reckon that's that pretty much takes care of the yeah. talkback section. So we okay. will move on to our research segment. So uh, I took the first research section for this first episode, and my topic uh, is a, a gentleman called Ishinomori Shotaro. Okay. Research. Okay. Ishinomori. How do you say that? Ishinomori. Ishinomori. Shotaro. Shotaro. Yep. Okay. So before we get fully into the research segment, I want to shout out the Breeze Wiki and Anti-Fandom websites. If you're into stuff in any kind of deep way, you've probably seen or used the Fandom.com website for basically any media franchise. They do video games. It's got TV shows, movies, I mean, anything you can think of. Uh, And you don't need me to tell you that it is an ad-ridden, personal data-stealing, U.S. Armed Forces-aiding trash heap. Breeze Wiki and Anti-Fandom are ways to view the content on those fan wikis in a much less intrusive way, and these have been invaluable resources for researching these various topics. I really appreciate you calling that out. And and I want to just take a, a very small second here to to say it even more fully. Uh, fandom.com is is really, really bad. Evil. Uh, they they actively steal the contents of other people's uh, wikis, and, and they can. The things are licensed in a way that enables mm-hmm. reuse. Uh, but then they use the fact that they have such strong uh, SEO, that, that, that they rank mm-hmm. so well in mm-hmm. the search engines, to make sure that those other wikis never get any traffic. So you've got a bunch of people, you've got communities of fans, people like you who are listening to this podcast, who give their time and their energy and their effort to the, these wikis to make them good and correct and fandom mm-hmm. profits off of those Yep. rather than the people who put their time and their energy and their effort into them. And this is something that, that will come up again as we talk about research in the future and yada, yada, yada. But, but I really do appreciate you calling out breeze wiki and anti fandom. Those, yeah. these are great resources. And if they're not already a part of your toolkit, make them a part of your toolkit. They have a browser extension, which I personally haven't tried out yet. Uh, but probably should. I'm looking at the open tab on my laptop screen right now. Um, but just just completely invaluable yeah. tools for like avoiding fandom. And when I say fandom is evil, I'm not exaggerating. They partner with the U.S. military yeah. for recruitment purposes and probably other more nefarious things. Like, not good people. And yeah. there was a time where... Uh, individual franchises would have had their own wikis which were like lovingly maintained by hand and as andrew mentioned the fandom is like a conglomerate octopus just like slurping everything into itself and then using its its budget again which comes from at least in part the u.s military uh to rank itself more highly in the search engines and steal traffic from 
those sort of hand-maintained uh, craft wikis. If it's you a real will. shame. So mm-hmm. host your stuff yourself if you can. If you can. And cool. if you can't, there are people you can talk to. Like me. <laughs> so my topic today is Ishinomori Shotaro, the original creator of 1975's Go Ranger, and thereby the father of the Super Sentai franchise as a whole. Uh, he was born in January of 1938. And he's best known as a manga writer and artist and holds the Guinness World Record for most comic pages published by one author, which Damn. is uh, just an insane record to hold. Uh, <laughs> his total is over 120,000 pages. I just can't. Yeah. That doesn't fit into my head. Yeah. Um, his mentor was Tezuka Osamu, who is known today as the god of manga. If you know anything about anime or manga or just Japanese media, whether it's kids or not, You've heard Tezuka's name. He created Astro Boy, among many other famous characters, and is generally regarded as having begun the manga boom in Japan, which continues today. Interesting fact that a lot of people don't know is that his, like, sort of soft, big-eye style that's so synonymous with anime and manga these days was actually influenced by some of Glenn Keane's drawings for Disney in the 40s. Uh, so this, this is... the one of the deepest rabbit holes you can go down in, in just media analysis so, in general. I, I love that you bring that up because yeah. um, I, I love uh, Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the, the, the thing that you find with Kurosawa's work is that, that some of his most famous work is um, his transposition and retelling of mm-hmm. American gangster novels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so... He transposes American gangster novels into feudal Japan and, and retells those stories in feudal Japan. And then Sergei Leon takes those same mm-hmm. stories and transposes them to the American West by way of Italy and mm-hmm. retells them again. And and then uh, Roger Corman takes those same stories and transposes them again to some high fantasy land where there are dragons and tells them again. And you end up with this kind of... Uh, transnational cross-cultural sharing mm-hmm. and 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 to hear that that you know um the 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 most common anime style uh art style was was heavily influenced by disney mm-hmm. and then you've got what what's the simba kimba oh, the white oh, lion kimba the white K- lion kimba yeah. the white lion which is just the lion king five years or ten years before disney makes the lion king mm-hmm. and and the Lion King, which is just Hamlet, which is just Hamlet, and, and so you've so, got these yep. kinds of uh, stories being told and Thousands. layered on top of one another. And as a society and as a culture, we have decided that that kind of sharing and reuse, that kind of creative uh, reinterpretation, is wrong, is is illegal. Um, in many cases, yeah. In spite of the fact that it is just the way that stories are That's told, the, it's the backbone of culture. <laughs> and, and, and so. As we're talking about Power Rangers, mm-hmm. and as we're talking about Zayu Ranger, and as we're talking about all of these things, I, I want us to, to keep in mind the lens of folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, the the transnational adaptation and reuse of uh, Zayu Ranger into Power Rangers is is folkloric. Yeah, it is. It is taking these these themes and and. The folklore is all over Zayu Ranger. It's it's very heavy. Oh, yes. in Zayu Ranger. Yes, we'll get to that. Um, but extremely mythological yeah. sort of makeup. But um, Power Rangers takes that and, and recontextualizes it in a way that that is palatable for children in, in the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, I just I think that that is a valuable lens through which to explore this conversation. And, and a, a good thing to keep in your head is that this is evolving the way that folklore evolves. Mm -hmm. um, OK, so you were talking pop, about pop culture, Ishinomoria. Yeah. Um, so in addition to creating Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger, Ishinomori was also involved in the creation of the second Sentai series, which is J.A.K.Q., which is, I don't know how to pronounce J.Q., uh, Dengeki Tai in 1977, although he would not be involved with the franchise afterwards. Some of his other notable creations include Cyborg 009 and the original Kamen Rider series, which was partly an adaptation of his 1970s manga Skullman. Uh, Ishinomori's influence on Japanese media in general and the tokusatsu genre specifically is hard to overstate. He passed away in 1998 at the age of 60, with Super Sentai and Kamen Rider still both going strong. There's also a museum dedicated to his work in his home prefecture of Miyagi. Uh, but that's that's Ishinomori Shoto, incredibly influential uh, in Japan and by extension the U.S. And the Common Rider Super Sentai Sunday Morning Kids programming block is still a thing in Japan. Every Sunday morning, those two shows air together. I love that. Uh, and have been for, I guess, like 40 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that. Uh, I mean, do you have anything else to cover yeah. for this episode? Okay. Okay, so we will be back next time to discuss episode two of Zero Ranger, which is Fukatsu, the revival, and Power Rangers High Five. We'll be joined by our good friend and recording engineer, Nelson. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please feel free to send me $5. And if you want to find me online, don't. Uh, Andrew, what other projects should our listeners check out and where should they go if they want to find you online? Um, Prepare yourselves. Take notes on this. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go ahead and apologize. In the description of wherever you found this episode will be lots of links. Um, I do a lot. Um, we're sitting here in the LJ Makerspace, which is a makerspace in LJ, Georgia, that I operate. I'm wearing an Analog Revolution t-shirt, which is a record label in uh, LJ that we operate and have for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, you Various can find incarnations of that one, but yeah. yes. Uh, you can find speaking. <laughs> the makerspace at uh, lajmakerspace.org. You can find Analog Revolution at analogrevolution.com. We also run New LJ Television, which might be where you're watching and or listening to this podcast. And you Could can find be. that online at newlj.tv. We run Expedition Sasquatch, which is a podcast about the world's worst Bigfoot hunter. And you can find that at expeditionsasquatch.org. We run... Org. It is a nonprofit yeah. enterprise. It's crucial that the, uh, the IRS understands <laughs> that. Um... We run a lot of other stuff, but but the thing that I've been putting most of my time and energy into recently is community media. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a, a, a book. It's about 100 pages. It's uh, being published as a handbound zine. Uh, it, the full text is up online, communitymedia.network, and that is the summation of my philosophy on how we can reclaim our modern folklore. and um, Our media means of production. Our media means of production. Um, or our means of media production. Whichever. Both. Both. Why not? But yeah, that's that's me. Um, I'm, I'm at AJRoach42 at retro.social on the Fediverse. And if you want to find me, that's where you should find me. All right. That's all the show we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. As Andrew mentioned, Kinku Sentai Podcast Rangers is produced in collaboration with New LJ TV at the New LJ Makerspace. Uh, it's licensed CC by SA, and the LJ Makerspace stands on the ancestral, unceded, stolen, and occupied lands of the Cherokee people. You can learn more about the Makerspace by visiting our website at lajmakerspace.org, and you can learn more about the Cherokee people by visiting their website at cherokee.org. Strength, love, and solidarity to all oppressed people, and in the words of a wise man, f*** capitalism, go home.
we'd like to thank Hurley Burley and the Volcanic Fallout for the use of their track, Colossal Might, extremely radical instrumental version for our intro and outro music. You can find that and more on Bandcamp. <laughs>